Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pitch. Thank you so much for joining me this Thursday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast of Catholic View, being a Thursday, it's a Women's Features Day. Today we take a look at an imbizo on anti-femicide. But first, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Thursday evening, a new approach to curb clerical sex abuse. Kenya's bishop won faithful against tribalism. And Papal Initiative sends aid to South Sudan. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Birish. With the recent resignation of Mary Collins, the last clerical sex abuse survivor on the Pontifical Commission for the Protection of Minors, the Commission and the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in the Vatican are attempting to point out the problem areas and move forward. The president of the Center for Child Protection at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome, Father Hans Zollner, opens up about what else the Commission and the Vatican can do, so each case is handled handled properly when it arrives to the congregation. What they can do and what they should do and what they want to do also is at least to acknowledge that uh, they have received that letter. But uh, you must realize that uh, at the congregation, in that section of the congregation that deals with the cases, I think at the moment there are 10 people who deal with hundreds of cases, not only from this year, but from decades ago. Uh, it's not like in the US or in Canada or in Ireland, where for decades you have spoken about this. In some countries, they are starting now. So things come up that have happened yesterday or 50 years ago. Now some victims are contacting the Vatican, opening up about their situation that may have been hidden for years. However, they usually don't receive an answer, as the case is being investigated and the letter could be seen as an interference in the process. The other problem is when these letters are forwarded to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, there are not enough people to respond to each victim and resolve the cases, leaving many victims of abuse to think the Vatican doesn't care. What we have suggested is create a, an office with competent people who can reply so that survivors, victims of abuse feel listened to. This is the overall goal for, for this, that they know also where the process is, at which point the, the allegations uh, are going to, and when they can expect any kind of reply. But for this, the Holy See and especially the, doct uh, the, the Congregation for Doctrine and the disciplinary section would need more personnel. And we hope that we can help, uh, at least with this suggestion, uh, which we gave to the Holy Father. Father Zollner, along with the Center for Child Protection from the Gregorian University, goes around Rome giving workshops and safeguarding sessions to leaders, dicasteries and ministries of the church. Additionally, he has 900 participants in e-learning programs on four continents and in 15 countries. 
we try to roll out a program of uh, growing awareness um, and the capacity to talk also about um, all what is connected to the prevention of abuse and the intervention in case that you realize that abuse is going on. Um, so uh, we, we have lots of requests. We, we need to expand our range and we need to hire other people because we sheerly can't uh, deal with all uh, the, the requests that we receive. While the current situation still lacks people and resources, hopefully the education being offered will soon train more people in this field. Therefore, additional personnel will be knowledgeable enough to assist the Vatican in these matters and maybe even have these new offers that Father Zolna has suggested to help both church leaders and the victims of abuse. A shepherd must be passionate, must know how to discern and how to denounce evil. Those were Pope Francis' words during Mass on Thursday at the Casa Santa Marta, where he focused on the figure of the Apostle Paul and then turned his attention to the example offered by Don Milani. Like the parish priest of Barbania, the Pope said, one should take care of one's neighbor. Drawing inspiration from the readings of the day and dwelling on the characteristics that a shepherd should have, the Pope noted in St. Paul the figure of the true shepherd, who does not abandon his sheep unlike a mercenary. The Holy Father then turned to his visit to Bozzolo and Barbania, this week referring to those two good shepherds of Italy. Pope Francis concluded with a prayer for all the shepherds of the Church, for St. Paul, who intercedes before the Lord, for all pastors in order to serve. Of the Lord. Moving on to African news, as Kenya prepares for August 8 general elections, the nation's bishops cautioned the faithful against tribal-based politics. The bishops wrote, and I quote, We must resist and reject any form of incitement. We must foster a unified nation, desist from inflammatory and responsible addresses stirring up hatred towards specific candidates. End of quote. The East African nation of 46.8 million is 58% Protestant and 23% Catholic and 11% Muslim. Violence in the Kasai region of the Democratic Republic of the Congo has claimed 3,383 lives since last October. According to the Apostolic Nuncio, five seminaries, 60 parishes, 34 religious houses and 141 Catholic schools have been closed or damaged. In addition, Archbishop Luis Mariano Montmeyer told the Fides News Agency the two bishops, Bishops Felicien Mwanama of of Luisa and Bishop Pierre Chitoko of Luebo have been forced into external exile. The Vatican has announced a special initiative to send aid to the people of South Sudan. At a June 21st press conference, Cardinal Peter Turkson, the prefect of the Dicastery for Integral Human Development, outlined the plans approved by Pope Francis to address the humanitarian disaster in South Sudan. Philippa Hitchin reports. Pope Francis may have postponed his planned visit to war-torn South Sudan, but he's clearly more determined than ever to raise awareness about the need to support those suffering from conflict and starvation. Over half the population doesn't have enough food to eat. A million and a half people have fled their homes and are internally displaced. Thousands are suffering from a cholera epidemic, and untold others are victims of killings, rape and other violent crimes. But beyond the statistics of this largely forgotten war, it's vital to remember the 
individual victims. Among those speaking at the Vatican press conference was Sister Judith Pereira Rico from Solidarity with South Sudan, an organization founded by male and female religious congregations over a decade ago. We don't talk about numbers. We talk about individuals, someone who is suffering. And for young people and for everybody, we want to spread the hashtag, South Sudan We Care. Many people are using Twitter, Internet, and any time that a young man or woman in South Sudan will click this hashtag, we'll know how many people are writing it, spreading it, and how many people are caring for South Sudan. It's like a moral support, and this is very important. Part of the Pope's donation will go to support a college in Yambio run by Solidarity with South Sudan to train teachers, nurses, midwives, farmers, and community leaders. Other beneficiaries of the initiative entitled The Pope for South Sudan include two hospitals run by Comboni missionaries and an agricultural project run by Caritas to provide livelihoods for 2,500 families in the diocese of Ye, Yambio, and Torret. Michel Roy, Secretary-General of Caritas Internationalis, told journalists that while peace must be the priority for South Sudan, the international community must also do more to save lives of those dying from hunger and disease. This conflict cannot just be forgotten conflict, like so many others. Darfur, which is just north, is now 13 years in war, and who speaks about Darfur? So South Sudan should not become another downfall. Asked about Vatican initiatives to try and stop the fighting, Cardinal Peter Turkson said he had been personally involved in two mediation efforts to bring together warring leaders, President Salva Kiir and his former deputy, Riek Machar. So far, these attempts have failed to bring peace, but the Cardinal stressed the Holy See continues to do all it can to stop the fighting in South Sudan. That's a key condition before a planned visit by the Pope and by Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury. Justin Welby can take place. While they had hoped to travel together in October to endorse peace efforts of all Christians in the region, that trip has been postponed until at least 2018. Meanwhile, South Sudan UN peacekeeping chief Jean-Pierre Lacroux described the humanitarian crisis in the country as a man-made tragedy and said that credible, free or fair elections in South Sudan would not be possible in the current climate. Matthew Wells has more. Under-Secretary-General Lacroix said the country remained desperate for peace, with more than half the country needing food aid, and a third displaced by the brutal conflict between government and opposition forces that's raged since 2013. A 2015 peace agreement had not held, and the UN mission, UNMIS, was continuing to do its utmost to protect civilians, he added. He said that a regional protection force, the RPF, to bolster the UN peacekeeping mission around the capital, Juba, was deploying slowly but surely, but President Salva Kiir's promise to release political prisoners was not materialising. Mr Lacroix said he needed to be judged by his deeds, not words. Although the president declared a unilateral ceasefire and launch of national dialogue on 22nd of May, it remains to be seen whether these developments will yield any tangible improvement in the security or humanitarian situation on the ground. We cannot lose sight of the fact that neither the RPF nor UNMIS is a panacea to this crisis. Only a truly inclusive political process and the genuine political will of the key protagonists to end the conflict and implement the agreement on the resolution of, conf- of the conflict in South Sudan will bring peace to this country. Under the faltering peace agreement, elections were due to be held sometime next year. But the peacekeeping chief said that if the current crisis and conflict persisted, that would simply not be possible. The force levels and mandate of UNMIS needed to remain unchanged, he urged the council, until events on the ground change.
Uganda is hosting a solidarity summit with the support of the United Nations amid a fast-growing refugee crisis in the country. A mass exodus from South Sudan has roughly doubled the refugee population in the East African nation to over 1.2 million. Some 30 heads of state and international donors are taking part in the summit, which opened this Thursday and aims to raise... 2 billion U.S. dollars to meet the humanitarian needs of refugees and support host communities. Jocelyn Sambira is in Uganda and filed this report. A bright green coach carrying refugees from South Sudan has just pulled into the reception center at the Mvepi camp in northern Uganda's Arua district. Children press their faces against the window of the vehicle that is covered in stickers and graffiti. The driver steps out, leaving two young aid workers with red vests inside. One of them is holding a clipboard, while the other is handing out tickets to the passengers. As their names are called out, the passengers leave the bus one by one. The majority are women and children, as well as the elderly. The newcomers make their way towards a makeshift sink, where they wash their hands before they begin the registration process. The first stop is at a tent run by UN partner organization Doctors Without Borders, known by its French acronym MSF, where the refugees receive vaccinations, malnutrition screenings, and primary health care. Mario Pangi, a young woman from Ye Town in South Sudan, is first in line. She was nine months pregnant when she fled and gave birth after arriving at the Ugandan border. Osman Shabani, the MSF medical team leader, explains the process as a nurse administers a drop of polio vaccine to Mary's baby. So after being registered here, they'll get uh, into our, these are for pregnant mothers, they'll get a tetanus vaccine, which, which by then we used to give for childbearing age, but now since we are running shortage of in, in the country, we try to specialize it only for Korean mothers. The next step we are saying is for polio, polio and vitamin A for children between zero months to five years. So that is basically the table handled by that. Then the last step we are saying is for measles for the children between six months to 15 years. So everyone in that age bracket will be given this uh, uh, vaccinations, respectively. The population fleeing to Uganda is expected to grow as violence and insecurity spreads in Africa's newest nation. The daily arrivals are putting a huge strain on the already meager resources available. Nvepi camp alone is hosting 120,000 refugees, says U.A. Mong, UNHCR field officer. I think the biggest challenge is uh, if you see the torrents, uh, one of the scarcities of water, where we need the water supply. If you see the 100,000, we need a huge number of the water supply every day. If we consider only the 40 liter per person per day, so we need to have a huge quantity of water supply every day. In there. So that's one of the key areas. And now is a rainy season and dry season is coming. What we provide the shelter is only for the emergency shelter. So we expect the shelter will be the another priority for the next. In Vepi camp opened in February this year and it's already filling up. Furthermore, the newly arriving refugees depend entirely on food assistance. 
The current funding doesn't cover the vast needs the UN office in Uganda underscores, and there's a risk that food rations might get cut. Uganda's already opened its door to refugees from Sudan, Rwanda, Burundi, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Somalia. With an average of 2,000 new arrivals each day, the country needs urgent and robust support to deal with the refugee crisis. The Solidarity Summit, hosted by Uganda, opens on Thursday and hopes to raise $2 billion during the two-day conference. In addition to its traditional donors, the country's also reaching out to new partners from the Middle East, Africa, and Far East. And finally, following his June 21st general audience, the Pope recalled that the solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus falls on June 23rd this year. The Pope told pilgrims gathered in St. Peter's Square that the feast is the day when the Church supports all priests with prayers and affection. And those were some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this evening. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next is our women feature. And today we focus on Imbizo on anti-femicide. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome to our Women Feature. The Model Regeneration Movement, MRM, in partnership with the Department of Arts and Culture, will host an imbizo on anti-femicide to confront the colors murder of women and girls. The event takes place on Friday, 23rd June, 10 a.m. at Regina Mundi Catholic Church in Soweto under the theme Respect, Human Dignity and Equality to promote ethical and moral values, irrespective of social origin, gender, race, age, status, and class. Presently, the country is experiencing an alarming number of women and children murders. The latest police statistics reveals that 65 women have been killed in 30 days. Now, to find out more about tomorrow's Imbizo at Regina Mundi, I spoke to Bongi Misimang, MRM Project Manager. Uh, this event, we call it an in vivo, to address the alarming sketch of femicide in South Africa. So we are calling on the cross-sectional community 
we are calling on faith-based organizations, youth, uh, MSGPs, government officials, uh, even the Minister of Agriculture will be present. Hopefully the Deputy President is going to be present as well. We are calling also on the victims and perpetrators. So the aim here is to launch and mobilize this uh, program and this campaign. It's not a once-off event, but it's just a launching pad uh, which is going to have lots of programs of action to follow. All right, so a movement like the Model Regeneration is obviously concerned about what's been happening in the country when it comes to the killings and rapes of children and women, especially women, as we, as you gladly mentioned, their femicide. What about the models of our society? Where are the models of the society? Where is that culture of Ubuntu? Where is, uh, you know, it's a societal issue. It has to do with parenting. It has to do with education starting from home. What about that aspect of life? Are we looking at incorporating this somewhere along in your different workshops? Absolutely, you are correct. Yes, number one, uh, let me comment on this one. Uh, MRM is a custodian of morals. And we are in, we create a platform for networks for all organizations, individuals, and institutions that have a similar vision and a similar concern. That is why also on this day, we are going to have those people you have mentioned, the Progressive Men's Forum, Progressive Women's Forum, so that we share ideas and are also going to engage communities that have panels. Now, that engagement is going to inform us also on our planned program of action. For example, we have a partnership with SAPS, a Police Civilian Secretariat, and um, we are going to have a workshop on the 27th of this month with them, and some of the things that we'll be looking at is a program to address these issues of femicide, the address to the, the, the issues of addressing issues of morality in, within the police force itself, within communities itself, and also we have MOUs with a basic department of education and the, base, and the higher institutions education department. So it's just a um, series of programs that are going to come through the MOU and through projects. And uh, Bongi, when you look at societal issues, when you look at the way children are being brought up today in South Africa, we have lots of broken families. We have lots of elderly looking after small children. We have lots of teenage pregnancy. You know, poverty is another issue, is another factor. You find young girls seeking your so-called blessings in order to have, uh, you know, better lives. And sometimes, you know, this, this aspiration of wanting to live a wealthy life because you've been brought up in poverty can actually lead to your death. You said you are going to be talking to communities as well, but how are you going to tackle this aspect? Because it can't just be done from uh, from the amber. If you're looking at religious leaders, they can't just stand there and preach about this, but these are things that have to begin at home. 
Yes, yes, I agree with you. Yeah, the problem is uh, the home. The home is the institution that uh, institutionalizes the young people. It's the foundation for values. It's the foundation for ethics. So we have, we are working also with the Department of Social Development, and we are working with the FBO, state-based organizations, to have programs that will address parents and so on. Also, the state-based organizations will start putting these programs in their churches. Like I say, we are planning a program of action to go into the cross-section of our community. And then secondly, how are we going to teach this? Um, we have what's called a charter of positive values. That's a guiding uh, reference, or we can call it a Bible, of uh, MRM. Uh, this contains values that are derived from the Constitution. And one of the values, some of the important values are respect, human dignity, and equality. Some questions can be taught in schools and also across in different organizations. And then also the importance of family and hence found family and community values. Those are some of our values. So we have this chapter of values that we want to um, distribute and teach across the spectrum. Now with the Department of Basic Education, we started we starting a program called Reclaiming Our Schools. Now the department will identify schools in their districts, in certain districts, that are sort of hotspots that have got problems and identify exactly what are the main values that are violated in that particular area. And then we come out with a program of action. We mentor and support. We have talks, we've got dialogues, and so on in those areas. And when are these programs starting? Yeah, they'll start at different times. Like some are really are already ongoing, you know, and some will start in due course. Remember, this event we're having on Friday, it's also going to inform us, you know, on what the real needs are and guide us perhaps on which areas to start and so on. We don't want it to be sort of a top-down approach, but we are going to get views from communities. Like, <coughs> sorry, we have people also like the Human Rights Commission would also be guiding us in those, and will also manage and work in the programs that they have started. So some have already started, some are going to start very soon, and the event is going to inform us on which direction to take the world. All right, now let's get back to the full details concerning the Imbizu. Okay, it's taking place on Friday the 23rd at the Chinamundi, and the time uh, it starts at 10 o'clock, 14 hours, and uh, we expecting people from all regions of Gauteng, and Sibibeng, Tswane, four buses are coming from Tswane, Eguruleni buses, Poweto, everywhere. And beyond that, uh, we extended the invitation to other provinces, like KZN will be sending a delegation 
from the office of the speaker uh, and also from, um, what do they call it, from a, a department of safety and security. Uh, as you say, this is just a lot in case. After this, we hope to replicate this in all the provinces and in all the districts of housing. And who will be the speakers and what can people expect to get out of this introduction meeting? We are going to have the Minister of Arts and Culture, who has been the key partner on this event. You know, the Department of Arts and Culture, according to the National Development Plan, they are responsible for that outcome number 13, I think, which is social cohesion. So they also sponsored this event and assisted us a lot. And then hopefully we may have the deputy president also. As we say, this is a national crisis. So government also is taking this seriously. We'll have various MECs uh, from housing, social development, safety, and education. We'll have mayors. And then we'll have civil society organizations Foundations like uh, O.R. Tambo Foundation, Mandela Foundation, and all other civil societies, a progressive uh, movement like progressive women's movement, your power, your women against gender, and then we have students, students across university students. We have courses already on board, and then very interestingly. We also have uh, the victims and the perpetrators. We've managed to get two people who would give a testimony on how this affected their family. And then we'll have a panel, a panel that is going to respond uh, after, after the presentation. The, the panel will be composed of ACPS, uh, that department that usually deals with these cases. And then we have the Human Rights Commission. And then we have a um, youth representative. And then we also have a uh, declaration. All right. No, it seems like a very uh, jam-packed event and uh, very informative as well. I, I pray and hope that this will be the start of something good, of a new a wave of change okay. for South Africa. Yes. Yes. Uh, I hope all the good Catholics and everybody listening to Veritas and to this talk, uh, I hope they will support us in prayers and in their presence. In their presence will be much appreciated. Thank you very much. Eh? And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to Thursday's edition of Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, shayla at radioveritas.co.za. Remember that this program is produced and presented by Shayla Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao.